0: I am so excited to see you guys out here um, for another week to, man, just dig in to the word and see what the Lord might do um, in our lives. I I do have a three-part introduction. Um, Tried to keep it shorter, but I I feel like there's just some things that before we finish out uh, chapter one of Jonah, we just have to see a few things. So I want to start with just the title. If you're a note person, you need titles. You can write this at the top of your notebook. Um, The the title of the sermon is Big Fish... Bigger God. Um, th- this is the part of the story that is inevitably distracting to modern listeners, if, if we're being honest. I think Jana may have mentioned last week that this is going to be the-, the whale of a time. Well, that's- this is the part where the whale and the big fish enters into Jonah's story. And-, and I bring this up not to be distracting, but to teach the followers of Jesus in this room a very, very important lesson. And here it is. Just own the fact that if God says Jonah was in the belly of a fish, that Jonah was in the belly of a fish. Uh, the Lord doesn't need our explanations into, let me make sure I pronounce this right, icky theology, which I found out this week in studying, is, means the study of fish. Um, and, and the reason I, I bring this up, to be a little bit humorous, but also just to try to address something that I see a lot with followers of Jesus, especially in college. And it's that we kind of forget that if you're rescued by Jesus, you are free to just go deep with the word and deep with your faith. Um, God could have created a fish big enough to swallow Jonah. He could have squeezed Jonah into a goldfish. He could have simply raised Jonah from the dead in the fish. The teaching for us is just to realize that our faith is based on good news about real events that we actually believe. If you've been rescued by Jesus, you are wrapped up in a miraculous story that you are free to believe. This faith, the object of our faith, is what gives us power because faith is what pleases God. And listen, don't hear me say this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn to discuss intellectually or philosophically, but I am saying if you are someone who is rescued by Jesus, you are free to just go deep in your faith. Jesus really is king of kings, Lord of lords, and he really is working. So when God says Jonah's in a fish, the application point is just that God is a God who can put people in fish. But there's more to this, right? We're not just going to celebrate the fact that God is that powerful and that he is that good. We remember that Jonah's story is actually our story. If you you recall from last week, God tells Jonah to go, and Jonah rebels and says, no, right? God says, you're going to Nineveh, that evil place, to tell them about my wrath coming. Jonah does not want to go there, so he goes to Tarshish. We talked about that. On the map, Tarshish literally is the opposite direction of Nineveh. It would be like God saying, all right, Jonah, I need you to go right. and And Jonah's like, okay, not doing that. I'm going left, complete utter rebellion, but God pursues Jonah and will do whatever it takes to bring about his purposes in the world, namely his global glory forever and ever, which is the point of our lives. So your story is just like that. God commands all of us to use our lives to glorify him in loving obedience, and all of us rebel in our own ways. Usually three categories of rebellion. The first one is just utter debauchery. And if you're in this camp, you know who you are. There are just bad moral choices that you are making that either your mama told you you shouldn't have done that when you got to college or in your own conscience, you just know this is not good, yet I'm doing it anyway. Some of us are just rebelling in that way. We know what God wants from us, and we just decide, no, doing things my own way. But on the opposite side of this, some of you rebel with religious moral alignment. Some of us in complete debauchery, other of us are rebelling, thinking that our good deeds, our going to campus ministries, our going to church, our praying, our reading the Bible, fill in the blank. Some of us think that is what is getting us acceptable for a God, before a God who demands that we worship him. And that is rebellion too. And maybe some of you, perhaps the most dangerous, is that you just sleep on it. You're just spiritually numb. You're not acting a fool and you're not really trying to put on a religious show, but you are just indifferent to the realities of who God is. And listen, all of these are dangerous. They're all dangerous. And none of them are beyond God's mercy. So I've got to let you know tonight if you've wandered in here. I know there's some new faces here tonight. If you've wandered in here and you are just rebelling with all of your might or you are just doing religion with all your might or you're just doing nothing with all of your might about the reality of God, you need to know this. Tonight could be your turnaround. Like God changes stories all the time through gatherings like this. Do you realize that? If you're someone who's rolled in here with a rebellious streak, you need to know there's people here that love you, but even more important, there's Jesus that we're worshiping, that loves you. Tonight can be your turnaround. Listen, tonight can be my turnaround. It's not just the people in the pew or the chairs that are rebellious. All of us bring in different types of ways that we are not glorifying God. And listen, at any moment we are not beyond God's mercy. Tonight can change everything. God is pursuing all of us and wants all of us to repent and worship. Some of you for the first time ever Some of you to enjoy and experience a close relationship with him again. As with those kind of anchor truths, I want to tell you what this book of Jonah should be doing. Once again, it should not be making you think about like the anatomy of a blue whale and think, well, you know, maybe with his stomach lining, there could have been a chance. That's not the point. The point of the book is to expose you and empower you. Remember last week we talked about that point in the spy movie where the protagonist or antagonist one's trying to get from point A to point B. They're sneaking around. It's completely dark. And then all of a sudden there's a laser light on your chest. And if you are you know, savvy with those movies, you know what that means. It means there's a sniper somewhere and that person is caught. That's what this book can do for you tonight. And like some of y'all can just turn it off and not listen. But if you're honest with yourselves about the realities of things that we just sung about and that we are all about, you might just get exposed. Because all of us have Nineveh in us. All of us have Jonah in us in some way. We all, if we have been around the gospel, are responsible to know God's mission. Yet we choose silence and selfishness. Christians in the room, we know God's will for holiness, yet we choose hidden sins. We all have a lot of Jonah in us, but the ultimate point of Jonah is that something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus fixes ruined lives, He transforms us. He doesn't just give you a new way to live, He changes you completely. So as you're exposed, you can also be empowered by this Jesus. Because God is at work and his plan will always be fulfilled, we can always be confident and bold in our mission. And in this mission, we're going to take some time before we get to Jonah chapter 1 and reiterate these things that we're just calling postures of ministry here. And I only bring these up because I know a lot of times we say, mission this, mission that, let's go do God's mission. But we don't get down to, what exactly do we mean? What does this look like as a campus ministry as we consider the mission that God has for us and his call on our lives? Here are some ways that I want you to be thinking about it as we go through the semester. Remember, just as Jonah was called to Nineveh, we are called to go into all the world, listen, starting with our neighbor's. So the first posture is this, awareness, which if you're listening at all, you're in that stage. You are aware. If you are a believer in Jesus, you hopefully understand that there are lost people that you interact with every single day. So the the positive bend of awareness is two things. We pray and we start to care. So hopefully you're there. Maybe that's what some of us need to do tonight. Realize, I haven't prayed, and I don't really let my life look like I care at all about my lost neighbors. But the negative bend of the awareness stage is this, that there's no real action in your life. You say you care. You may even say you pray. There's no real action. And listen, your actions show your actual heart toward difficult people. And even if you do reach out to someone or decide to go to coffee with someone, your heart isn't there. And in this posture, you are just doing ministry to people. You're aware, you're doing ministry to them. Second posture is association. The positive bend here is prayer, care, and presence. But I want to take a note here. Prayer is not just the same thing as like a spiritual way of doing nothing. I think a lot of times we, we go there, right? Like it's, well, you know, I'll just pray for it or, or whatever. We need to understand, prayer is not a last resort. It's not like the final thing we try to hope that something in ministry works. Prayer is the work. And if, and If you are new and haven't heard this phrase, I want to introduce this to you. We have a student leadership team that gathers here in this ministry called the Student Serve Team. And part of their responsibilities are to lead what we call front lines prayer uh, prayer meetings. And the reason we do that is because we don't want our ministry to just be contained to 7.30 to 9-ish o'clock on a Tuesday. I hope we realize that. Like, we cannot have a goal of just getting a bunch of people at a thing. Our goal is mission on campus, and a way that we are doing that is through prayer. So we'll start putting up when these prayer meetings are for you on the social medias, and if you just want to gather with people, you don't have to pray with them. You can just go and see, and I hope that God stirs something in you so that prayer becomes an automatic ministry, of, becomes a part of you, and it becomes a part of this ministry. So it's not just prayer, it's not just care, but there's actual presence. So when you're in the association, you're thinking of a lost friend, maybe a lost classmate, and you're thinking, I want to associate with them, care for them, be in their life. But the negative bend of this is that there is some action, but oftentimes it just kind of looks like charity. You send someone from your friend group to enter into that group just to try to coerce them into joining your group so our numbers go up. It's not the point of ministry. Our point is not to create some giant friend group that sings together every week and then send little people into these other groups on campus. It's not what we're about. In this posture, you're just doing ministry for people. And at worst, we're just doing charity work. Third posture, action. This is what I want my life to look like. The positive bend it's, it's there's prayer there's care there's presence and ultimately there is power first corinthians four twenty says this i love this verse for the kingdom of god does not consist in talk but in power and we're not talking about power in the way of the world we're talking about power in weakness where we exalt christ above all else in our own fight against sin in our loving of our neighbors and listen in sharing the gospel We need supernatural power to actually pray, to actually care, to actually inconvenience our lives, to get in the lives of our lost friends. And we need supernatural power to actually demonstrate the power of God in our lives. Do you realize how much ministry we can do and not need the Spirit of God? This should be terrifying. We can gather, we can sing, We can go to church on Sunday. We can read a devotional. And we can do it all without our hearts being in it. And we don't need the Spirit of God to do those things. Just don't. But if we want our ministry to be something that's marked by the Spirit of God, it has got to come in weakness. And us saying our lives are not our own. Our time is not our own. Our efforts are not our own. Our money is not our own. It is worth it to show off His power. But the negative end of this is you become prideful and you talk down to other people in the other stages. Or even worse, you might refuse to disciple or follow up with the people that God works in around you. But if we do this well, in this posture, we're doing ministry with people. We collide our worlds in our lost neighbor's worlds, and we point everything to Jesus above all else. We love with our good deeds, we share the gospel with our words, and we constantly orient every interaction around what Jesus might think. This is the kind of ministry that we want. And I want to tell you this. This kind of ministry doesn't happen by hype or motivational speeches. It just doesn't kingdom of God comes in power not in talk our power comes from the Holy Spirit through his word which is why at this ministry we just take time the word of God is on center stage here and we want to see what God might do through this text so we're going to read all of it together 7 through 17 and we just might with hearts open and minds available let's see what God might do through this text you remember, the mariners are on the boat, and they just woke up Jonah to see if he would call on his God to stop this huge storm that was threatening to tear up their boat. And that's where this comes in. It says this. And they said to one another, this is the mariners talking, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared the lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the lord and made vows and the lord appointed a great fish to swallow up jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish 3 days and 3 nights so in this text here's what i want us to see we're going to see that jonah's god is the god of the entire universe that he is sovereign over every detail of our lives, that he demands that we come to him in faithful worship, and that he will not let us continue in our idolatry. That's that's where we're going for. So we look at the first part there, 7 through 10. We have seen that the Mariner's puny gods will not work in the strength and might of God's wrath storm. That's become clear, right? Before they wake up Jonah, they're calling on all of their gods, and all that happens is that the storm gets more strong, and even Jonah's lack of trust in the one true God was no match for this wrath storm. I mean, you can imagine this is a huge storm threatening to break up the ship, and they're screaming like, and it's this isn't a silent situation going on. The ship is rocking. There's probably waves coming in, thunderstorms happening, and they're like, "What have you done, like Jonah?" You're asleep? How? And they're trying. It's a very intense, life-threatening, scary moment for them. These mariners were desperate. They recognized the life and death matter that was before them and before their choice of God. And we cannot know in our life whether our storms are direct wrath storms toward our rebellion, but we can know two things. That our rebellion against God hurts us and it hurts others. If we rebel in the area of not sharing our faith, people are eternally hurt. Your sin is not just about you. It hurts other people. In Jonah's case, his rebellion was causing this ridiculous wrath storm to threaten to break up the ship that these mariners were on. Another thing we can know is that we experience in tangible ways the power of God. They can wake us up to real life. You've been there. If you've ever gone through some suffering or something that has just changed your life forever, you know that it's normally in the darkest moments or the worst suffering where God feels most real. This real life shot of the desperation in the Mariner's life shows us a reality that most people are too asleep to recognize. And it's this. If you aren't in Christ, God's wrath is on you. Terrifying reality. In this snapshot of the mariner's life, what they are recognizing at this storm was not just some storm they haven't seen before, but that this storm was wrath against rebellion against this God. Romans two five says it this way: describes this terrifying reality. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed people should be told about the wrath storm that they are storing up for themselves. But listen, you're a Christian. Until that day that Romans 2.5 is talking about, our word isn't one primarily of wrath coming, but of wrath absorbed. Talk about God's wrath, but talk about Jesus who took God's wrath for anyone who will come to Him by faith. But in this text, we are seeing a terrifying thing that if you are rebelling and you are not one of God's people, there is wrath stored up for you. And in this moment, it seems like the mariners are realizing that their gods couldn't handle their problem. So they cast lots to determine how to get answers. Um, If you don't know what lots are, they were generally um, two colored stones that would be rolled to determine yes or no answers to issues that people face. Sort of like maybe a magic eight ball, if you remember those, and you're wondering, you shake it up, and it says, yes, or try again later, whatever, um, or like rolling dice. So you can imagine how desperate they are in this, right? Like, imagine, ridiculous storms, they're starting to think, this might have something to do with the gods. They're terrified, and it's like, they're like, where's that eight ball? <laughs> like, you know, they're scared in this storm, they're like, okay, we, nothing else is working, we're not, the prayers aren't working, Jonah's asleep, what is going on? I know. Like, find me those dice. Like, let's play Yahtzee, you know? And, but this is interesting. Because what we find out in this moment of this random story that God is writing to show off his glory is that we see that every little detail of their lives was controlled by a God who cares about every little detail of their lives. Look at this. You need to love this proverb, 1633. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The God who called Jonah, the God who calls the storm, and the God that will eventually control a fish is the God who controlled the lots landing on Jonah. God is in complete control of every single detail of our lives. There's one I can't remember if this theologian is dead or alive, so I'm just going to say a scholar said this. Um, This quote, I love it. He says that in the entire universe, there is not one maverick molecule. (laughs) Like, you can go to Pluto and look at the molecules there. I'm not a science person, so I, you know, I I know you can't look at them, but let's say we could. And we found these molecules, and we would be in complete confidence that every single molecule controlled by God in Huntington, on Pluto, not hating on Pluto, I know it's gone through some identity crisis lately. Not, not knowing if it's a plan, I think it might be now. I can't remember the latest. Yep, we're getting some head nods. Okay, so shout out to Pluto, she's back. <laughs> and listen, I don't want us to miss this because some of us are just so, like, man, we hear these big things about God's sovereignty, and I know some of us, like, we're excited about it, we sing about it, then we don't live like it's true. And then some of you are just really rubbed wrong by this. Like you're thinking, like, really? Like God knew I was going to put on these jeans? Or if you're like me, like the same jeans for the past week? (laughs) It's incomprehensible because we have this idea that somehow God's sovereignty can't fit in with our free will. Um, And and listen, I just want you to keep in mind that Jonah chose to go to Tarshish, but God was still in control of working his purposes. And listen... I'm not asking you to figure out the debate between how our free will works with God's complete sovereignty and how all that works together. But the primary response to this is not intellectual debate, but it's falling on your face in worship. If God is completely sovereign, we should be worshiping him. Um, a lot of times, um, hip-hop artists say things better than I ever could. Um, probably all the time. But uh Shai Lin, if you've ever heard of him, he's a, he's a, a rapper who talks about this idea of, of God's sovereignty in a song. He says this. I'm going to try not to rap it and embarrass myself. I'm just going to say this. Um, he's talking about this whole like, free will, sovereignty thing. He says, rather than debating the master's gift, we should be happily praising his magnanimous saving of savages. I love that rather than like, let's just try to figure out how all this works, and I thought I chose this, but God chose this, and and all these things. not saying we shouldn't wrestle with those things, but at the end of the day, we should just be praising this God who is sovereign. Go make your free will choice to praise him. That's the response. Happily praising his magnanimous saving of savages. We cast the lot, but God decides where they land. Because when we worship him, and praise Him for who He is, we are free to see every detail of our lives, even the small ones, as a part of His great plan. Listen to me. If you take anything at all from this sermon tonight, know this. Nothing is random. Every person that you saw today, sovereignly chosen for you to see. Every class that you think you chose, Every class, every major that you think you switch to, all of it given to you by God. Step into every day with complete purpose, knowing that God is working. Man, it can set you free. Like, we don't have to worry about should we talk to this person or not talk to this person. If God put them in your path and you know the gospel, talk to them. That's the point when you're free to know that God is completely sovereign over everything and you understand nothing is random, every situation you find yourself in is meant to glorify this sovereign God. Gosh, what would it look like for us to actually believe that? It would change everything. It would change the way way you interact every single day. It would change the way you think about the future. Nothing is random. Don't be too asleep to see that. God is sovereign. And the lot falls on Jonah. Not too much of a big surprise at this point, right? The, the sailors want to know what God that Jonah represents. They probably want it to be something they can manipulate for their own benefits, being honest. But instead, Jonah offers them the one true God, not just an option in a spiritual buffet line. Man, we've got to fight that. We're not just offering a different way to live. We are offering true reality. A sovereign God. Look what he says. He says, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This is our God, the one that we sing to. He isn't a God that tries to control the seas, he made the sea. That is huge. It's not, man, God, I hope you can fix this situation. It's a God that created the situation. It's our God. The mariners should be falling on their faces, and they are rightly afraid in this passage. And we start to see there's somewhat of an interest in knowing how to know this God. The once silent, rebellious prophet is finally preaching. God can use dire situations to wake us up for his mission. And I saw this happen, man. If you've you've been around me at all, you know I talk about this guy named Joey Stevens a lot. And um, this is a guy who taught me how to read the Bible, taught me how to follow Jesus. Um, just, man, still calls me like three times a week to check in on me. Just incredible dude. Um, and uh, this, this pastor's been really difficult for him. He's, he's, he's gone from thinking he may be dead in a month to definitely needing a liver transplant at some point. Um, his, his oldest son is six and um, has autism. He's got two little kids younger than that. So it's been a really, really difficult season for him. And um, I'm talking. We're in the midst of this fight, and, and I'm calling him, just checking in. One morning, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, only people like Joe. It's only people understand the sovereignty of God that can say things like this. And you know, we're we're, we're talking. And he's saying, "Yeah, probably a uh, probably a liver transplant." So at some point, you know, we gotta be praying that when I need this liver, another healthy liver is there, and we can get this liver in my body. And I'm like, I'm like, man, how are you how are you feeling? Like I was, I don't know what he said. Right? I mean, he's 33. I don't really know how to to comfort someone in this situation. And um, he just goes, Man, all I want to do is go make disciples. Like, that's easy to just kind of like snicker at and be inspired by. But you think about a man who is in complete trust of God's sovereignty. He is telling me in the beginning of the conversation that he might need a new liver. He's realizing he might have to go to Cleveland Clinic every two weeks maybe for the rest of his life. And he's like, man, I just can't wait to make disciples, man. we got this new kid coming to youth group tonight. Can't wait. I'm just like... Sometimes it's crisis that can wake us up to what God's purpose is for us. Um... At the end of the day, these mariners and these Ninevites were unholy before a holy God, and we need to understand this about the people that we know. Listen, it shouldn't take a storm of God's discipline in our lives to get us to start talking to our neighbors about Jesus. And I know that one day when we're on our deathbeds, we're not going to be wishing we would have hung out more. We're wishing we would have had these times given to us by a sovereign God and used them more for the kingdom. We can have some boldness here, right? If we're alive right now. That means God gave us another day. It's completely sovereign. Let's be like Joey, man. We're thinking, how do we feel? Man, things are horrible. Tests are stressful. Whatever kinds of things are in your life. I hope that because God is sovereign, we can say, man, just can't wait to get to work. Let's go make disciples. Back to our story. They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Um, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Imagine this conversation. Like, man. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So they realized that something has to be done about their issue with God. Have you ever been in these situations with people that when you finally get to the point that we acknowledge that there's a God out there, usually they intrinsically think, oh man, i got to do something. Right? Like there's something in us that, know if God is real, something about our life must change. When, they, when people understand who God is, they usually know either I've got to do something or something's got to be done. And Jonah just says, throw me overboard. Now listen, This seems like a sacrifice, right? Like, it's like, listen, y'all, like, mariners, listen, I love you. I'm sorry I was asleep. I'm awake now. Here's what you got to do. Throw me in the sea, right? seems like a sacrifice. But most scholars suggest this is actually showing Jonah's refusal to go to Nineveh again, which seems consistent with his character, right? Like, all right, the prophet, man of God, Jonah, listen, go to Nineveh, okay? Going to Tarshish. In the boat, he's like, oh, man, God's after me. I know, y'all, throw me in. (laughs) Like, Showing, probably consistent with his character, it looks like Jonah is once again saying, I would rather die than go preach to those Ninevites. He doesn't see that God is, only sees that God is full of judgment, doesn't see that God is full of mercy. Either way, whatever Jonah's motivation, this is the way in which these sailors can be set free from God's wrath on this ship through a man taking their place in the wrath of God. Um, they hear that they can do this. There's something that can be done, and I love this. It says, nevertheless, the, m- the men just rowed harder <laughs> to get back to land. It's like, Jonah's like, look, you want this storm to stop? Throw me in. They're like, oh, dude, it's crazy. All right, let's keep rowing. And we keep trying to row and row, and all they notice is the more they put effort in to trying to get over the wrath of God, they realize that there's only more wrath. Listen, you cannot work your way to God. Step into these spaces with people. When your unsaved friends are rebelling against God, they are probably going to try to do something to make themselves feel okay. Or they're going to just hide the things they think are bad. And God is continually pursuing them. And every single person that's ever came to God in faith, God will save. They will break. Don't give up. And listen, maybe that's some of y'all tonight. I don't know. The room this size, there's probably people in here that have either got coerced into coming or you just thought this seems like a good way to spend a Tuesday night. But with the reality of God's wrath stored up for you if you were not in Christ, would tonight maybe be your breaking point? Even if you are the best person in here, you are doomed without Jesus. And listen, if you are a follower of his in rebellion here, Stop trying to row harder to get back to him. The work is done. You only have his grace and his mercy. And I've walked with some of you. Sometimes you, you mess up with that one thing again and you think it is grit my teeth and just row a little harder, try to make myself more holy, when you are completely abandoning the fact that God only has mercy for you. You can't row yourself into God's blessing. Jesus rowed for you. So the sailors eventually see this isn't going to work, so they finally decide to throw them in. And here's kind of a breakdown of, of their little uh, monologue here um, when, they're, when they're praying to God. These sailors, they finally call on the one true God for salvation. Um, they actually call on the Lord himself, not their own efforts or their own gods anymore. They realize their own guilt and ask for forgiveness. They accept that it pleases the Lord to have a sacrifice thrown into this wrath storm in their place. And then once the wrath is gone, they fear the Lord and use their lives to offer praise and sacrifice to God. I love that. What, what this is showing us, a comprehensive look of what a proper response to the claims of the gospel is. That we must call out to God and belief and repentance that we must understand that our sin put God's wrath on us that we must be declared innocent by forgiveness that we must see the cross as the way that pleased God to save us and after we experience forgiveness our lives look like worship and sacrifice to him this is our lives as followers of Jesus Even when we screw up and are in the storm of God's discipline, we can acknowledge Him, stop relying on our own power to please Him, and recognize the forgiveness that is already ours. We can turn to Him again in worship. His mercy never runs out. Man, that shouldn't bore us. And just like He will continually forgive us, he will forgive any person, any rebellious person that comes to him in faith, just like these mariners did. And this life of sacrifice and um, worshiping the Lord must mark our lives as followers of Jesus. Look at this last verse. So after all this, Jonah's on his way in, cannonball, rat stops, he's floating down, sinking. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you remember, the point of this book, Jesus even says the sign of the prophet of Jonah is to show people me. Jesus himself says that the sign of Jonah would point to his life, his death and his resurrection. So this story is not ultimately meant to show us that Jesus is the God who judges. He is also the God who saves. This was a rescue fish. Do you see this? Like Jonah, another chance to rebel goes deep away from God, and God does whatever it took to get him back. This is not just a Man, biological miracle, although it was that, but it was meant to point ahead to the greater-than-Jonah rescue, Jesus himself. Think about how Jesus is better than Jonah. Jesus willfully went to do the will of the Father. God says, Jonah, I want you to go into the hard places. Jonah says, no. God the Father says, Jesus, my son, I want you to go into those hard places. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus preached the message of God's wrath and forgiveness to difficult people. Didn't avoid it like Jonah. Jesus also chose death as the substitute for people who didn't know God. And it wasn't because he was avoiding the hard things. He knew that the only way salvation came was for him to go straight through the hard things. And as he absorbed the wrath of God for us, he bore the consequences that removed the wrath for others rather than being the reason for the consequences. And just like Jonah Jesus enters into the belly of the grave for three days. And as we'll see in two weeks, Jonah's going to get vomited. Guess where? Nineveh. How's that free will working for you, Jonah? And just like Jonah is... Vomited on the island, Jesus stays in the grave three days and three nights and victoriously rises again to proclaim the gospel of his salvation to Nineveh and the nations until all people everywhere are acknowledging him as Lord of the earth and the sea. And this is the story. This is our story And if we will come to Him in humility, faith, and repentance, that can be your story. Without God's rescue, you just keep sinking. You jump in the ocean of God's wrath and a fish may swallow you, but that fish dies and then keeps sinking. But if you come to Him in faith, you will rise again in new life. So as the band is coming back up, I want to give you three ways that we've got to respond to this. How do we respond to the mercy found in the sign of the prophet Jonah? First is this. Simply worship Jesus. Your works didn't save you. Your works, your church attendance doesn't keep you saved. Someone else's works saved you. And Jesus's works on your behalf keep you now. Secondly, what do we do in response to this unbelievable mercy? When you fail, run to him. You don't have to die the death for your sins. Man, that we would get that. How many of you have been in meetings where we will just psychologically torture ourselves for the sins that we have committed and forget that Jesus was already tortured in our place? You don't have to die the death. your sins. Jesus did. Thirdly, because we know the reality of God's wrath, let's go straight into the ships of our non-Christian neighbors. Tell them who you are. Tell them who you belong to, but most importantly, tell them who your God is. Tell them how he made a way to be saved from the wrath that is stored up for them. And tell them about the greater Jonah, who took the plunge in God's wrath in their place. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we uh, get ready to worship You, um, we just admit that um, we are creative in the ways that we rebel against You. (laughs) That that we will find a way um, in our weakness, in our tiredness, in our distraction to um, not glorify You with our lives. So Lord, I just pray that by the preaching of your word, and somehow by your spirit, you might just overwhelm us in this room with your mercy. Man, that we would see ourselves apart from you sinking deeper and deeper, but we would see the rescue mission that Jesus did on the cross for us. And God, I beg that you will do whatever it takes in our lives to not let this be a ministry that just gathers for a gospel rally once a week and then nothing changes about our lives the rest of the days. Lord, let your mercy overwhelm us right now. Let the storm that is God's wrath, that is your wrath, that you absorbed for us by your son, let that be a wake-up call for us to live differently today. And God, for my friends in here that have come in and they have no substitute, that they're rowing harder and harder to get away from the wrath that they deserve. Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus tonight, that your people in this room would open their mouths tonight, that people would feel uncomfortable leaving until we have made things right with you. Uh, So God, help us sing. (laughs) Help us sing like people who have been set free. We're not going to sing now uh, to earn your favor that's been given to us, but help us to sing in response because you've done everything to bring us home. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.